0: So the book of Matthew, Uh, we have been in the book of Matthew now for several months, and um, we're going to keep walking through the book of Matthew all the way to the end, though I will be honest with you, we're going to take a break this summer for a little bit, just to mix things up, uh, get crazy all up in here. Uh, But don't worry, we will return to the book of Matthew, and we will finish the book of Matthew. Um, But this is, honestly, this is without a doubt one of the pinnacle verses of the entire book. Um, what's the does anybody remember the theme verse for the book? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Theme verse for the entire book. Um, John brings that in, and Matthew talks a lot about John in the, in this book. Um, and then Jesus is the one who fully uh, ushers in the kingdom. John is the one, remember, John the Baptist is the one who calls to repentance and then Jesus brings in the kingdom of heaven. And we've looked at what is the kingdom, how do we enter the kingdom, we've looked at what the principles of the kingdom are, we've looked at how Jesus brought the power of the kingdom, we've looked at all kinds of stuff. And, and over the last couple of weeks, we've looked in, in chapter 11 of Matthew at the doubting of John the Baptist. It's, it's, it's an interesting passage. It's, it is a bit strange, honestly. Um, this person who's the forerunner to Jesus comes to Jesus with a question of doubt. And John the Baptist says, are you the one? Are you the one? Are you real? Because I'm in jail, and it looks like I'm about to be put to death. I need to know. Are you who you say you are? And Jesus sends, some of, sends John's disciples back and says, yes, look at how I have brought the kingdom. Look at how I've preached good news to the poor. Look at how I've healed. Look at my teachings. I am the one. I am the only. And so Jesus goes on in chapter 11 to describe what it means that he is the one, that he is the only. And we see it here, let's start with verse um, 25. We're going to go all the way to 30 today. We'll start with 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's an incredible passage, isn't it? These are these are just delightful words of comfort from Jesus. And he's saying, He's saying to John the Baptist, he's saying to his disciples, and he's saying to all people everywhere. He's saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're going to unpack that this morning by looking at three different things. If you're a note taker, these are the three points of the sermon. First of all, Jesus says, stop. But we can't stop. That's point one. Jesus says rest, the Greek word is stop or cease. Number one, we can't stop. Number two, we long and desire and wish we could stop. (laughs) That's number two, point two Jesus makes here. And lastly, thirdly, Jesus is our rest. Jesus provides rest. We, So let's start here. We can't stop. We can't. I was reminded this week, the iPhone, right? That this, is an, this is an example of us not being able to stop. So uh, the reason I bring the iPhone is because Steve Jobs is the one who you know, is credited with creating this. He, I don't know if you know who Steve Jobs is. He was the former uh, he kind of founder and CEO of Apple Computer Company. And um, the iPhone, especially when he introduced it, I don't know if you've ever seen one of his keynotes. You ever seen one of his keynote speeches when he gets up in front of people and introduces a new product? It's incredible. (laughs) So he got up, you know, and he had the original iPhone, and he stood up there and was like, this is revolutionary. This will change the world. And it did. (laughs) He was right. It did, but here's what's interesting. It was touted when it first came out as an incredible communication device. You're going to be able to stay in touch with everybody through this thing. But I mean, the reality is, please, please, that's not, that's not what it was invented for and that is not the first to do that, right? Remember what we had before these, before smartphones? The little flip phones and the little bricks, the Nokia bricks that you shoved up to your face, right? So it was by no means the first cellular communication device. So what was it? What was it then? What, what was so... Rev- Why do millions, literally now, billions of people have these things? What is the appeal? Well, I would say, and I, and I don't think Steve Jobs would agree with me, and I don't think Apple would agree with me, but let's stick this out. I would say this is the greatest distraction device ever made. It is incredible. It's so good at distracting. Because... Uh, I remember when it first came out, and you had just like the apps that came with it, and then about a year later, I think it was about a year later, or nine months, this thing called the App Store popped up. Remember the App Store when it first came out? You guys, I don't know if you had smartphones back then. I was on the cutting, bleeding edge of all this. I had the first iPhone. I remember the day, I was on vacation in Florida. I remember the day the App Store went live, and it was like, ah! my distractions just went up Tenfold. I can be distracted at all times now. Um, and I thought it'd be good uh, for us to look at some statistics um, about apps. Okay. App Store optimization company Sensor Tower released its Data Digest for the first quarter of 2016, analyzing application downloads and trends on iOS and Android. So this includes Android. It's not just the iPhone, right? Every smartphone has followed, uh, copied uh, what's going on here. In Q1 2016, that's quarter one 2016. So one quarter. That's a fourth of the year, okay? Just to be clear. Apps were downloaded 17.2 billion times worldwide on the iTunes App Store and Google Play combined. It's an increase of 8.2% year over year. Of those 17.2 billion app downloads, 11.1 billion were for Android apps, while 6.1 billion were for iOS. In terms of worldwide game downloads specifically, the quarter saw users download more than 6.7 billion games on iOS and Android combined, up from 6.4 billion in Q1 2015. Overall, games were the top category on both iOS and Android. Okay. I experienced the distraction of this this week. And the reason I bring up the point about distraction and diversion is because one of my favorite authors of all time, a guy named Blaise Pascal, a French mathematician, who is an, also a philosopher, he, has this, he makes this point in his book called Pensees. And he says, distractions, if you say distractions are bad for a human being, you don't understand human beings. He says all the philosophers, they make fun of people who chase a rabbit all day with a gun. All day long, chase a rabbit with a gun. Right? Okay, that's France in, like, mid-19th century. <laughs> We, we chase deer now and, and other things or fish in a pond or something along those lines and he's like he's like the philosophers um, uh, denigrate these folks that chase a rabbit all day with a gun and they and they call them silly and foolish and he said the philosophers do not understand human nature human nature needs distraction human nature needs diversion why his point in the book it's phenomenal I highly recommend you read it if a human being stops we become miserable. If we stop, if we stop the treadmill, and this is my point earlier, Scott, when I said um, the number anecdotally, the number one response when you talk to somebody and say, "How are you doing?" in modern America, the answer is what? Busy, right? Busy, and and I I often ask people, "Good busy or bad busy?" Because there, I believe there's such a thing as good busy. Honestly, we are in a cons- constant distraction mode. Because if we stop, and I don't think we can. Um, this is my theory. This is, this is what I'm... I think Jesus even is saying this. We can't stop and rest. Why? What is the deeper point here? Why can't we stop? It's because when we do stop, we're reminded of how miserable life is in general and how miserable our life is in particular. <laughs> Here, let me go one step further. This is a real uplifting sermon today. There's an incredible amount of suffering in this world. There's an incredible amount of pain in this world. There's an incredible amount of conflict in this world. And there's death. All the time, everywhere. You cannot escape it. It's a 24-hour news cycle even now for us on the news channels. But on top of that, and I think even more importantly than that, I don't think that is the number one source of our inability to stop and to pause and to be quiet and to rest. I think more importantly, when we stop, we realize our failure. I think that's the number one reason. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at in this passage today. Our failure. I don't care what your standards are. I don't care if it's your own standards you're trying to live up to that you just made up. I don't care if it's the Bible standards. I don't care if you've never been to church in your life until today. (laughs) You have standards in your life that you are not meeting. You are not meeting them. And you know it, and when you stop, you're faced with it. It screams at you. And it is incredibly hard to swallow. It's incredibly hard to remember it is a state of misery that we are in on this earth. And Jesus knows that. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, he is not just talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees at that time, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law in Judaism, the Jewish leaders, yes, had one form of what I would call weariness and being heavy laden. In fact, in chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus actually accuses them of laying heavy burdens on people that they can't carry. So they were absolutely struggling with massive burdens. But, but y'all, let's not kid ourselves. It's not just the Pharisees. It's not even just religious folks. It's not even just churchgoers. Everyone walking on this planet is struggling with the fact that they have standards they are not meeting, that they're hypocrites. It's a difficult fact to swallow, but Jesus knows it's true, and he says, come to me. Come to me. You can't stop, but you know you need it, and you know you want it. And that's my second point. That's the second point from the sermon this morning. We, even though we can uh, I was like, where's my notes? Even though we can't stop... Actually, you know what? Before I get to the second point, a quick um, personal, personal point. Um, I was reminded of this, this fact this week when I saw an Instagram post Christy had on her phone. And it was of my sister um, sitting in uh, one of those, like, comfy, big hospital chairs Uh, getting her chemo treatment, right? And he said, you know, we're praying for God to carry us through this. She has like 14 weeks or something like that. And then Christy was like, oh yeah, she's doing terrible. You know, she's throwing up and she's awful. Um, And I was like, okay, uh, iPhone, help me out here. So I scroll, you know, I'll go to news quickly so I can distract myself from that thought. And so I go, and then it's like all this stuff about Comey and the FBI. And I'm like, oh! So then I put on a phone game and I was like, oh, yes. Okay, finally, I'm... Thoroughly and, and, and wonderfully distracted right now. You know, just kind of making those curves. I had, it was a racing game. You know, it was like, turn one. Oh, I made it. Okay, oh, that was pretty good. I'm in first place. Oh, turn two. Yes, uh, I need to finish this race with, uh, with passion, right? But I, it, it, was, it, was, it was helpful. I'm not saying it was good. I'm not saying it was right. It was helpful. I was distracted, even if for that moment, because why? I can't stop. I can't stop and think about the misery. But, Jesus says to us in this same passage, the reason he calls us to himself in that burdensome weariness of life is that he recognizes, the Bible recognizes, God, because he created us, recognizes that we long for rest. Even though we never get it, even though we, know, we honestly don't even know how to find it, um, and the best we can do is diversion. I mean, that's the best we can do, is divert ourselves from it. We still long for it. We still have this sense that there is rest out there. And one of the reasons, I think, that we, we have this sense that there is rest out there is that we, we have what C.S. Lewis calls uh, the hint of Eden. Right? We're reminded that this isn't, this world the way it is, the way my life is, is not always how it's supposed to be. It's not how it's always going to be. Hebrews, the, the book of Hebrews... The writer of Hebrews talks about this. He talk, The writer of Hebrews talks about heaven. And in chapter 4, the, the author of Hebrews compares heaven to the promised land from the Old Testament. Because the promised land in the Old Testament, if you read about the, the Israelite people, God's chosen people, they were promised what? This land. And what was in this land? What was so special about this promised land? Well rest that was the point it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey and you can rest you can finally have relief why? because God's going to be there we're getting to that in a second but here's how um, let me read from Hebrews for just a second this is the author of Hebrews verse, chapter 4 verse 4 for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way and God rested on the seventh day from all his works and again in this passage he said they shall not enter my rest since therefore it remains for some to enter it And those who formerly received the good news failed to answer because of disobedience. Again, God appoints a certain day, calling it today. In the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The Bible promises us there is rest. There is rest. Though we never find it, though we've never had it, there's a promise of rest from Scripture. What is that rest? Well, thankfully, we're going to see this morning here in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus calls himself that rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Last point, we're going to unpack that phrase, that passage So the breakdown of it is is something like this. Um, Let's ask a couple questions about rest in Jesus. Jesus offers rest for those that come to him. What then does it mean to come to Jesus? What does it mean to come to Jesus? An illustration that popped in my head as I was pondering this, as I was chewing on this, was when I asked Lyndon, who's my four-year-old daughter, to come to me. This is the best I can do when it comes to an illustration. When I I say I ask her to come to me, almost always it's because I simply want to embrace her. Because I love her. right? I want to embrace her, but more often than not, I also want to converse with her. I want to speak with her. I want to relate to her. But even beyond that, often the case is when I invite Lyndon to come to me, I have something to give to her. And that's exactly what Jesus means when he says, come to me. He's saying, I, I love you. I want you near me. I want to talk with you. We have his teachings. We have his healings. We have who he is. And he, and he gives. He gives freely. He gives grace. So the, you all see this on our website where it says, the grace of Christ frees us. God gives us grace. Grace is the only possibility we have for rest. That's it. Why? Why is grace the only possibility we have for rest? Because grace says, I've done it for you. Though you are consistently slammed in the face by your own failures, by the fact that you don't, meet, you don't even meet your own standard for how you should live life. You don't. Jesus comes, he says, come to me and find grace. Find the fact that, that I have done something for you, that frees you from those harsh standards. This is something new, this is something different, this is something true, this is something freeing, for all of us. But he goes on, Jesus goes on, let's, let's keep unpacking it. Um, What does it mean to rest? I think we have to ask that too. Not only what does it mean to come to Jesus, but what does it mean to rest? In the Greek, as I mentioned earlier, it means to cease or to stop. And I think one of the best pictures God has given us of rest, of ceasing, is is literal rest. (laughs) Like literal sleep. Think about sleep. What what voluntary effort do you put in when you sleep? Zilch. What happens to your body when you sleep? Restore and repair. Right? You do nothing. (laughs) The best you can do is go unconscious. That's that's your contribution to sleep. Like, okay, now I'm going to go unconscious. Take that. Pretty awesome. I'm pretty awesome. Better watch out for me. God has a point to make with our bodies and giving us sleep. He has a point to make. The best you do when it comes to the grace He's pouring into your life that you're receiving through Jesus is you go unconscious. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Think about the analogy, right? I thought about it this week as I was uh, as I was chewing on what is a devotion. Right? We talk about that in the Christian world. We talk about quiet times or devotions. I don't know if you've heard that term before, but it's this idea of of sitting with God or sitting with your Bible, sitting with in prayer, and we consider it in the Christian world to be a good thing, right? But often, if you're like me, we think of that as something we offer to God. That's ultimately not what a restful devotion is meant to be. What a time a quiet times the reason it's called quiet is for reason there's a reason for that we're honestly just opening up a little bit of space a tiny little bit of space for God to work on us God to work in us to do that restoring and repairing work that he promises to do that we see a picture of even in our sleep so my question to y'all to myself this week is are you opening up any space at all for God at all do you ever open up space for him to work and just do nothing and just be in his presence. Jesus talked about this with the story of these two women called Mary and Martha. He goes over to the house of Mary and Martha, and Martha's in the kitchen, and she's slaving away at a beautiful, delicious lunch. And uh, Mary comes in, the younger of the sisters, and she sits at the feet of Jesus and and just what? Receives. Because that's what he does. Jesus gives of himself. And Martha yells from the kitchen and says, Mary, what are you doing? Get in here. These deviled eggs are not even close to being ready. And Jesus, I'm sure, is hungry. He's been walking around all day. And Jesus is like, Martha, Martha, calm down. Mary is doing what is right. Mary is sitting at my feet and receiving from me I conclude with this Um, what does it mean to have a yoke with Jesus to be yoked in with Jesus and it be light and a he, he calls it he calls it easy and he says it's a light burden to be yoked with Jesus. I think there's three things um, that Jesus is getting at when he says that. The word easy in the Greek, if you study it a little bit, doesn't actually mean easy. (laughs) It means proper fit. Proper fit. When we are in line with Christ, we find our proper fit in life. And this is what Jesus is trying to get at when he says, come and follow me in discipleship and you will also find rest. I struggled with that this week. I struggled with it. Because my understanding of discipleship of Jesus is hard, right? Costly. Like, count the cost. Really difficult. And Jesus here says, it's re- it's, I promise rest if you follow me in discipleship. Well, I think he's getting at this... This sense that when you are in line with God's purposes for your life, for this world, for humanity, there is a sense of rhythm. There is a sense of what I would call restful activity. I mean, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you see it all over the place. Jesus is like, whoa, hold up on the conflict. <laughs> Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Do not judge. Do not worry. These are incredibly restful things he's talking about in a world around us that's absolutely chock full of conflict, full of, of anger, full of stress, full of I gotta get back at you. He's saying this is restful activity. When you get in rhythm, and the rhythm I think is just living for others. LFO, LFO. Like, I experienced this one time when I was, and the only reason I say LFO is because that's a band. They were called Live For Remember, yeah, thanks Scott. When I was at camp, um, this, this, I remember, first I was just a brand new Christian, and I was, I was helping care for these middle schoolers. And I remember they were teaching us about servanthood. And I, I didn't understand, I didn't know what that even meant, servanthood. I was like, whatever, this is going to be fun, I'm at camp, I'm outdoors. And uh, there was this whole series they were teaching about what it, what it means to live like Christ. And so I started waking up every morning when I was at this camp, and I would pray, "Lord, help me to LFO, lift for others." Lord, help me today, lift for others, lift for others, lift for others. And it just became a mantra of my life. And by the end of that summer, I was working possibly the hardest I've ever worked in my life, and I was having the most incredible, restful, delicious, wonderful time. It was it was unbelievable. I felt I felt like I was like I was in the zone. I was in this like, like roller coaster almost where I was getting pulled along. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. It's this sense of this is what you were made for. When you get into this rhythm, you're going to find that it's actually really smooth. That there's a lot less friction in your life when you get into the rhythm of my teaching, of discipleship following after me, and there is rest. There is a lightness to it. It's like my friend, Frank Margaron, when we went on spring break. And he decides that he's gonna drive 14 hours to see this girl that he was in love with for two hours and drive 14 hours back on spring break. And we're like, You're insane. You're crazy. You're nuts. Don't do it. And he did it. And he's like, It's no big deal when he got back. No big deal. Smooth. Smooth. Because he knew what was at the end of that trip, he understood the love at the other side of that trip. And it felt easy. And I think that's what Jesus, finally, this is our conclusion, is getting at. He's saying, when you get at my feet, and you receive from me, not only grace, but an understanding that I don't just tolerate you, I treasure you, I love you. When you get there, and you get that, you receive that, combined with... His vision, God's vision for what life truly is about, and you get into that rhythm, the living for others, Jesus is like, you're gonna discover this is like sailing. It's, it's, you're gonna change the world. You're gonna find the peace and the rest that you've always longed for, even though you're not laying down. You're not laying on a couch. Because that's how most of us think of rest, right? Laying down, like sprawled out on a couch, like, oh, finally I'm resting. Jesus is like, that's not, you'll be miserable. (laughs) You'll be miserable there too. (laughs) I have a rhythm for you, Jesus says. Come to me. Let's pray. Lord God, um, teach us to sit at your feet. Lord, I am so busy. I'm so distracted. I'm so, ah, I'm so miserable. Uh, Lord I pray that help me to sit there to find you there Lord and to to understand what it means to live for others as you love me deeply Lord I pray that for everyone here this morning Lord I pray for those that have been running from you that have been running to lots of other things that have been distracting themselves Lord because it's human it's normal it's perfectly fine but I pray Lord this morning that they would put the distractions down maybe for just a second and that they would freshly experience your grace. Your grace that says, you can't stop, you can't do it, but I've done it all for you. And you can rest in me. Jesus, rest our hearts today, and I pray that as we come to your table, as we see this picture, this visible sign That you've given us. That you died for us. That you died to fill us. And that you died to be in us. I pray that we would see that as we celebrate your meal together today. We pray all this in your name. Amen.